Our sermon series that we started last week is called At the Table. And it's about how Jesus in his ministry did a lot of eating and drinking. We see him at meals a lot. And who he ate with and how he related to them reveal deep truths about the kingdom of God and about the person and work of Christ. And last week, Ricky talked about a meal that Jesus had with some Pharisees and tax collectors. This week, we're going to look at a meal at another Pharisee's house. Uh, The Pharisees were the teachers of Israel. They were the Bible teachers of the day who were uh, very strict interpreters of the law and uh, told you sort of how to live and then held themselves up as models for how to live. And the interesting thing uh, is that Jesus accepts the invitation to eat with Pharisees. And it's interesting because they were his biggest enemies, his number one critics. Uh, They saw themselves as the true teachers. And here comes this teacher, Jesus, uh, who contradicts so many of the things that they say. And so they took every opportunity to criticize him and to, to try to test him and trip him up. They were threatened by him and all constantly trying to make him look bad and at times Jesus gave it right back to them uh, pointing out the hypocrisy even calling him them some some terrible names calling them uh, brood of vipers children of the devil but what strikes me is that still Jesus accepts this invitation to share a meal with the Pharisee He gives them a chance. He wants to see them repent and change from being lost, self-righteous, hypocritical uh, people to being true, humble followers of God. See, I think Jesus is a, a lot less tribal than we are. He is much more hopeful for change. And in Luke 7, uh, we see him respond to this invitation to the home of a Pharisee. But here's the thing. When you invite Jesus to come into your house to get to know you. Watch out, because you might get more than you bargained for. So if you're able, if you would please stand, as I'm going to read from Luke chapter 7, starting verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? 
I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word for God's people and for the good of the world. Please be seated. good host does more than just feed his guests. He loves his guests. A good host doesn't just give people a place to sit. She thinks about all of her guests' needs and does everything she can to meet them. Now, I've been to homes that were large and impressive and, and very clean, where they served a great meal, and yet I didn't feel welcome because the hosts didn't really show that they cared for me. I've also been in homes that were small and had piles of clothes and toys, but I felt welcome because the host cared for me. And what we find out in this story is that Simon, the Bible teacher, is a poor host. Simon's invited Jesus to come to his house to eat with him, along with a number of other guests. And probably the reason that he invited Jesus was because Jesus was the celebrity in town, right? Jesus was the talk of the town, and Simon probably wanted to see what all the fuss was about, and I wanted to see if Jesus was the real deal. And so Simon hosts this dinner at his home. But he doesn't do the things that a host was expected to do. Now today, what what do we do when we host people? We we greet them at the door, we shake their hands, we take their coat, we offer them a place to sit, offer them something to drink. But in in Jesus' day, the first thing that you did was you gave them a kiss of peace, saying you're welcome and, and showing affection towards them. And then you offer them water for their feet. People wore sandals and it was, feet got dirty and dusty very quickly. And so it was not a high, just a hygiene thing, but also a kindness and a care. But Simon doesn't do either of those things. Verse 38, just read, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Uh, sort of just lets everybody fend for themselves. Now, also in those days, houses tend to be pretty open, much more so than in our security-conscious neighborhoods. And so at that dinner, it would have been very easy for people to come in and out of the house. And so we read about a woman of the city, a sinner, Luke tells us, which is code for what? Kind of like we use the term woman of the night. It's code for prostitute. And this woman comes in to see the visiting prophet. She makes her way in the house specifically to see Jesus. It's very likely that she had heard him teach, encountered him at some point. And now she wants to show him how he has changed her life. And she begins to weep 
and her, her tears fall on his feet, and then she begins to wipe them with her hair. And then she kisses his feet, and she pours oil, ointment on his feet. You can imagine the scene that that must have made. You know, if this was a movie, the music would stop, the record would scratch, and everybody would be looking. What's going on? Kind of reminds me of the, the dinner party uh, episode of The Office, where Jan and Michael invite everybody over, and then they fight the whole night, and they, they try to get them to invest in Jan's candle business. Super awkward. Super uncomfortable. And all eyes are on Jesus. And when, when Simon sees the woman kissing and anointing Jesus' feet, he thinks to himself, clearly, this is no prophet. Because even a blind man could smell the immorality on this woman. Now, part of Simon's revulsion probably comes from uh, something that she did. Pretty naturally uh, revulsed by this. Which is she let her hair down. Because in in Jesus' day, women did not let their hair down outside of their own homes. In fact, in ancient rabbinical material, it's written that a woman should only put her hair down in front of her husband. Rabbis consider it the same as uh, uncovering yourself. And so Simon is recoiling at a very personal, intimate gesture uh, that he sees as scandalous. But Jesus does not. And then Jesus, proving that actually he is a prophet, uh, he reads Simon's mind, or, or maybe he just reads his face, and the contempt oozing from his face. And then he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, when Jesus says that, look out, right? And Simon says, oh, okay, say it. And then Jesus lays a trap. But as Tim Keller likes to say, it's a trap of love. He tells his parable. Two guys owe money to a money lender. One owes, in today's terms, about $5,000. The other owes about $50,000. And the money lender wants the money. Now, in those days, there was no personal bankruptcy. And if you owed a debt, and the person you owed it to called for it, if you couldn't pay it, you went to prison. Debtor's jail. And while you were there, you couldn't work. And so the interest kept accruing. (laughs) It just got worse and worse. Oftentimes it meant your life was ruined for all intents and purposes. And now, of course, in America, $50,000 is not a lot of debt. Probably a lot of us carry more than that on our house. But in a lot of the world and for much of history, that kind of debt was unimaginable to be able to pay back. Now, the Bible often talks about sin as spiritual debt. In fact, when we said the Lord's Prayer earlier, remember what we said? We said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And of course, it's not talking about financial debt. Uh, It's talking about the moral debt that we owe to God. And so the meaning of Jesus' parable is pretty clear. Everyone owes a debt, but no one can pay. Simon, the Bible teacher, the the highest moral example in all of Israel, he may have lived a good life, may have been doing good, outwardly good things, but he still owed a debt. And this woman, 
This woman of the city, a sinner, might have sinned in much more flagrant and scandalous ways. But they're both in debt. Right? But only one knows it. And Jesus says that the moneylender forgave both of the people their debt. And he asks Simon the question, who then, which of them will love him more? Simon gives the right answer, the one who owed more. Yeah, you're right. But then notice what Jesus asks Simon. Verse 44. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? What a great question. Do you see this woman? Do you really see her? Can you see past her past behavior and see her humanity and her beautiful expression of faith and love? And what Jesus sees and what he wants Simon to see is that the prostitute is actually a substitute host. By a display, her display of love, she becomes a better host than this Pharisee. The biggest reason Simon was a bad host wasn't because he served bad food, but because he didn't love his guests. He didn't show them kindness and respect. And the prostitute shows Simon how he should have treated Jesus. Now sometimes the, the reason that we're, we might not be good hosts is because of the cost of hosting. Right? There's there are a number of costs involved when you host a party or a dinner. There's not only the cost of the food, but the, the, the time to clean and prepare, and then the emotional energy of welcoming people in, right? listening to them, noticing them, noticing what they need, doing what you can to provide for it. But think about the cost of this woman's attendance at the dinner. She would have known whose house this was. She wasn't invited. She would not have been welcome. She would have known what a, what a Pharisee like Simon and many other respectable guests would have thought about her. There might even been a fear of violence. Remember the woman caught in adultery who was brought by the scribes and Pharisees to Jesus expecting to stone her. Could have something like that have happened here. But this woman does not care. She, her only concern is letting Jesus know how much he means to her. And in the process, she shows everyone else in the room how they should have responded and treated Jesus. I love what Tim Chester says in his book. Uh, he says, perhaps she sees in Simon's treatment of Jesus something of the way in which she has been treated. Simon's only interested in Jesus for his entertainment value. The eccentric preacher, miracle worker, was the must-have guest on the social circuit. He doesn't care for Jesus as a person. This woman could relate to that. She was used to being used by men without respect. This woman knows that she's broken. And when Jesus accepts her, she has an overwhelming love for him. Let's think about Jesus' words here. He says, He who's forgiven much loves much, but he who's forgiven little, loves little. First question we might ask is, is there anyone who's been loved little? Who's been forgiven little? 
Because I kind of think that when Jesus says he who's forgiven little, he's giving us a category that really doesn't have anybody in it. (laughs) Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one seeks after God. After the fall, there is none who is righteous. It's kind of like the category that he gave in, in last week's text. He said, uh, he, those who are well have no need of a physician. Is anyone well apart from Jesus? The implicit answer is no. There are just people who are aware of or ignorant of their own spiritual sickness and need. And when you get to the place where you realize how much you have to be forgiven for, that your whole life is a series of running from God and building your life on other idols, then then you start to understand your need for grace. And it's so demonstrably true that the people who have been forgiven the most and recognize the weight and the cost of that forgiveness are the ones who often love the most. I was recently invited to uh, an open meeting of N.A., Narcotics Anonymous, and I was struck by two things as I listened to uh, various speakers tell their stories. The first thing I noticed and was struck by was how, how important it was for them to own their sin. Now, they didn't necessarily use the word sin. They used some four-letter words for it. But they, it was important to them that they owned it, that they took responsibility for what they had done, what they, how they had hurt people. And then the second thing that struck me was how grateful they were. <laughs> over and over they, again, they talked about how they loved their sponsors and their home group. How grateful they were to, to God. Some said higher power. They were grateful for those who had stuck with them through sometimes very hard times, sometimes awful decision making. And I thought throughout, why isn't the church more like this? Because we are no different from people in N.A. We may not be addicted to narcotics, but we are addicted to sin in some form. Well, the way to become more loving, more full of gratitude is to see that Jesus is the great host who meets all our deepest needs. Now notice Jesus' reaction to the prostitute, kissing his feet, pouring oil on them. He doesn't, he doesn't stop her. Even though his, his reputation is at stake here, he doesn't stop her. Because he, recognizing that, he recognizes that she might, must be doing something that other people misinterpret, but he doesn't care. Because he recognizes what she's doing as sacred, as holy. Tim Chester again, he says, Jesus is happy to link his identity to hers. Just as he's happy to link his identity to yours and mine. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus calls us to get to know him, he lets us call ourselves by his name. And a lot of times that doesn't even go well for him. There's a lot of people who, uh, whose greatest reason for not giving Jesus a chance is the, the self-righteous, greedy, hypocritical Christians that they know we're seeing the news or on TV. 
And yet Jesus still lets us call ourselves Christians to identify with him, even though we so often poorly represent him. See, Jesus, Jesus is the host who invites orphans into his father's house and gives them the family name. Jesus, Jesus is the host who paid the ultimate price to be able to stand at the day of judgment and say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. He's the host who cooks Simon Peter breakfast on the beach, and then he covers his deepest shame. He's the host who offers the wine of forgiveness and the bread of peace every week, no matter what you've done all week. He's the host who says, I have been loved much by my Father, and now I want to share that same love with you. And here's the thing. The church, the church is the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth. We're the ones who are called to introduce, Jesus, uh, introduce people to the ultimate host, Jesus and who we include at our table says a lot about who we are and what we believe about God's love and grace. When we encounter Jesus as our host, we're changed. Notice his last words to the, to the woman. He says, go in peace. Actually, a better translation of that phrase is go into peace. Go into peace. Jesus isn't saying, you know, hey, peace out, whatever you want to do. No, he's saying, go. Now that you have received my love and forgiveness, you no longer, you don't have to do the things that you did before to try to get love. You have it. You can now be free to live well and to leave your life in sin, of sin, and, and live a life of joy and freedom. Our band sings a song called The House of God Forever. It's based on Psalm 23, and the chorus says this, You are my feast in the presence of enemies. Surely goodness will follow me in the house of God forever. You know, the story of the Bible teacher and the prostitute tells us about the makeup of the house of God in eternity. It tells us that the rich and the powerful and respectable will not get into the house of God if they are not willing to repent, if they will not ask for forgiveness and learn how to love, they will not be welcomed in. But it also tells us, on the other hand, that there's no one who's too far gone to be redeemed by God and welcomed into his house forever. And so we need to ask ourselves, do we include the messy people? Do we invite and welcome sinners into our midst or do we prefer just to have nice clean people around do we really believe in grace do we really believe in redemption you know when Caroline was on staff here I was struck by how well she loved people on the margins you know the people who didn't fit the neat category of a lot of river oaks upper middle class professionals with 2.5 kids and can quote the Westminster Confession of Faith. Right? She loved those people on the margins and, wanted, and went to great pains to let them know they were welcomed. Try to get them involved. 
And now as she's gone, who will look out for the people on the margins? Who will invite them in? Make them feel included and part of the family of God here. And you know what? When we welcome those in on the margins, we don't do so as charity cases. We do so as equals. For we have all been forgiven much, and we all ought to love much as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, you did not wait for us to clean ourselves up. You did not wait for us to become respectable, for us to become kind. You came. You rescued us, and now you are in the process of making us clean, sanctifying us, making us holy. And so we pray, Father, as, as we do that, that you would show us, keep ever before us how much we have been forgiven for, that we may, might be able to live out of great gratitude, to live out of the overflow of your love for us, to be able to love others even when it's hard, even when we feel like they don't deserve it. And remember, we, we didn't deserve it. And we thank you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray.